Welcome to Love Unpacked, a podcast based on the book Love Unpacked. I'm your host, Andy Franklin. Join me on a journey to unpack our stories, confront our past, and find our way to unconditional love. Good morning. So we have talked about love. We have talked about marriage. And now we're going to talk about the baby carriage. Today's episode is all about intimacy and it is set during the time when I first started having children and how bringing people into the world can dramatically affect your intimacy and your sex life. This is probably the number one most talked about thing that I've noticed between the women that I've had discussions with about this book, about this chapter. And so I know you guys know what I'm talking about. It it can be crazy once you have kids, right? I, and it never stops being crazy. It's always just a different kind of crazy. And I think that's why it's so important to keep intimacy alive in your relationship because the reality is that the crazy is never going away. It's just going to change. It's going to evolve. You're going to have different stressors in parenting, but you still chose somebody as your partner that hopefully you really still enjoy. And it's important to keep yourself in a space where you remember that and you don't just get so bogged down that you forget, oh yeah, I actually really like this person. (laughs) And doing things with this person, you know, baby making things recreationally. (laughs) So that's what we are unpacking today. Chapter 10 is all about intimacy. Let's dive in. Chapter 10, Intimacy, Chateau de Franklin. Intimacy is the capacity to be rather weird with someone and finding that it's okay with them. Elaine de Botton. On June 26, 2013, at approximately 8 o'clock p.m., my husband watched me defecate as I attempted to push our son out of my vagina. My knees were hugging the opposite sides of my chest, and I was bearing down during a contraction, trying to make this whole birthing thing happen. But last night's dinner came out instead. I pooped right there on the hospital bed, and I knew it, even though I couldn't feel anything other than extreme pressure, and nobody spoke a word of it. My midwife swiped a towel to my body before swiftly tossing it behind her. Like one of those women you see flying their bandanas up in the air to signal the start of a street race. Derek's eyes caught mine with a sort of shock and disbelief that could only come from watching poop pop out of your wife's body from a very intimate angle. And he thought the human centipede was disturbing. We took a prenatal course through our hospital where they told us all about emergency C-sections, the risks of epidural, and the ring of fire. This is also known as the moment you realize your vagina is actually the gatekeeper to hell. That an angel is about to escape from Satan's grasp by turning your once firm hole into an inflamed circus ring, just so some magician-priest hybrid known as Dr. Such-and-Such can pull a human being out of your hoo-ha. Doc then immediately performs an exorcism to remove the placenta. You thought it was your friend before but it's now threatening your life with each moment it stays crammed inside of you. 
They prepared us for swaddling and diaper changing and used a doll to show me the proper way to hold my baby to my breast. They warned about malnutrition, breastfeeding complications, and what to do if our baby was born with an extra foot. And at the end, they sent us home with an autographed piece of paper declaring Derek and me as certified to become new parents. But nobody, nobody told me that I might poop in the labor and delivery room in front of a nurse, a midwife, and my husband. How could he ever look at me the same way? I just shit in front of him. Derek was an anxious father-to-be and actually scrubbed in to help deliver our son. But instead of bright baby blue staring back at him, he was greeted by a turd that I cannot describe to you because everyone tried to hide it from me. When I talk about this day in my own head, I refer to it as turd gate. Sure, my son was born one hour and 11 minutes later. That was cool and all. But turd gate had burned itself into my mind making June 26th a day of great joy and utter embarrassment for me. Months later, Derek confirmed my suspicions and understood immediately from my expression that we were making a silent pact to never speak of it again. Learning to be sexy again after shitting in front of your husband isn't for the faint of heart. I could handle the giant pads, the mesh underwear, and the stitches that stabbed my vagina when I walked, causing me to move around like a crab to avoid the pain. I could tolerate the swollen nipples and the mastitis and the sudden lack of basic human hygiene from sheer exhaustion and absence of brain power to remember that showering is essential. Yes, these things could be dealt with and I could do something about these things. However, I could never, ever take back Turdgate. Thankfully, our brains can be our fiercest protectors if we let them. Mine put in plenty of overtime trying to wipe my memories clean as swiftly as the midwife had wiped the turd that shall not be named. Eventually, I was able to move forward from the horror that was my public defecation. I stopped fearing that shit would randomly leave my body every time my husband tried to be intimate with me. But that didn't free me from a new set of challenges. Turdgate was behind us, but we had a new obstacle to face. An actual human baby. Babies are wonderful. They have this addicting smell that permanently attaches your nose to their skin and leaves you in a euphoric state of bliss that makes you feel high. Like one too many bites of an edible high. They're also a lot of work. And my firstborn, Declan, is a rare breed of human. Moments after he left my body, he was trying to hold his head up as if he'd heard a rumor that they'd be giving out medals for the strongest baby in the nursery. The hospital staff were stunned by how strong he was. A month into life outside the womb, he was trying to stand and walk. There was no stopping him. There's still no stopping him. Declan never wanted to miss out on things, so he only slept in 30 to 45-minute intervals during the day. At night, he'd feed, rest for about an hour, then wake up to feed again. I could only put him down if he fell asleep on me first, and I transferred him. Even then, there was a 50-50 chance he might wake up the moment my warm body left his. 
Crib sleeping just wasn't an option. I honestly didn't press the issue because I had this crippling fear that if I left him all alone in the room down the hall, he'd stop breathing in his sleep. So instead, I slept on my back and he fell asleep every single night directly on my chest where he could feel my warmth and I could feel his breath. He didn't like to be swaddled, but he also didn't want to be put down, which meant I spent approximately 20 to 22 hours a day holding him, rocking him, cradling him, and cuddling him. You can imagine how difficult it was to be intimate with my husband when we were working with very short pockets of alone time. Every once in a while, we'd trick him into his rocker, or I'd be able to gently lay him down on the bed in a spot Derek had warmed up for him while I fed him to sleep. Then, if Derek and I wanted to be intimate, we got creative. We're all adults here. We know there isn't a stork in a UPS hat that drops off little pre-diapered babies at our doorsteps, right? So it should come as no surprise that my husband and I created Declan the old-fashioned way. Meaning, sex. We had sex. But just like those frisky dolphin cousins of ours, we like to have said relations recreationally as well. I know that people say it goes out the window once you have kids. But in our case, that just isn't true. Sex didn't leave. It adapted. We knew we needed a new plan for intimacy. Our bed was off limits because there was a baby in it. And standing up or bending over wasn't exactly the kind of mutually beneficial sex we were looking for. So one evening, to make something happen, we grabbed a leopard print blanket and pillow and arranged them on the floor in front of our bed frame. This would be our new sexy space, and we'd call it Chateau de Franklin. Chateau de Franklin gave us a slice of intimacy in a room that had become more of a nursery than an adult space of two married people. There was nothing ideal about humping on the floor while our baby claimed the California king, but we were thankful for the opportunity to touch one another while laying down. It was around this same time that Derek realized our sex life was in a rut. But really, how could it not be? I'd pooped in front of him right before my vagina opened up the gates of hell. I recently retired a wardrobe of giant pads that covered from vagina to ass crack under mesh underwear, and my oversized t-shirts were always wet from my leaky, cracked nipples. Sex is part of my love language, so I genuinely wanted to engage in it. But I was feeling the emotional effects of being a new mom and adjusting to the changes in my body and daily routine. I knew he loved me at this point, but I was still subconsciously waiting for the shoe to drop. And this seemed like the perfect time. Hell hath no fury like new motherhood. When you become the proud new lifetime sponsor of a human being who cannot do a single thing for themselves, it can have a severe impact on your confidence and mental health. For one thing, babies cry, and sometimes you can't figure out why no matter how hard you try, and that's a total mindfuck. It makes you question everything you thought you knew. Suddenly you feel like this utterly inept person. You wonder how none of the licensed professionals who walked into your hospital room flagged you as an unfit mother and stopped you from leaving with that baby. 
When I was wheeled down to our car with my fresh newborn in tow, I realized I didn't even know how to install the car seat. We'd forgotten to take care of it ahead of time, and I thought, are they seriously going to let me just drive off with this kid when I don't even know how to strap him in? Additionally, motherhood is the ultimate identity theft if you're not careful. The pressure to live up to the impossible standards our world has set for moms these days leads many of us into dark trenches. We forget about the person we were outside of our children because we're so afraid of getting found out as the terrible mom most of us think we are. We're given a uniform of messy buns, yoga pants, and slogan t-shirts. We're presented with a creed. Mom life is the best life. We're offered an allotted time of 30 seconds to ourselves before appearing selfish. We're also fed a heaping pile of activities, crafts, and chores to do, from tummy time to homemade baby food to milestone markers to monthly growth progress photos of our kid dressed to the nines, all while we spill coffee on our wrinkled shirt behind the camera in our spouse's sweatpants and five-day-old ponytail that's starting to hurt the scalp. Failure to comply results in dishonor upon our family name. Not to mention the looming fear that someone may call Child Protective Services on us because we forgot to use certified organic apples for our puree. The threshold is unrealistically high, leaving most of us feeling like the Looney Tunes going up against the monsters in Space Jam. Where is Michael Jordan when you need him? How are any of us supposed to live up to these insane expectations and still be a whole person? How do we claim a persona outside of our children? I certainly wasn't feeling sexy like a Rihanna song, with tiger stripes on my belly, tea bags for eyelids, responsibilities like a CEO of a Fortune 500, and the style of Little Orphan Annie, pre-Daddy Warbucks. In fact, all I could hear was Mickey and his friends going on and on about hot dogs, the soundtrack where a mother's soul goes to slowly die. Derek spent his days doing what he's always done, working for eight hours a day with plenty of adult interaction among him and his coworkers. But I'd traded in adult time for a stage five clinger who hated naps and loved screaming like a pterodactyl. I talked to a baby dinosaur all day long, while my husband got MSN updates about news, politics, and pop culture. By the time he got home, it was almost as if there was a language barrier between us. I'd allege things he didn't understand, like, our child wants me dead. And he'd say things I didn't understand, like, did you see the trailer for that new Leo movie, The Wolf of Wall Street? I think a part of him couldn't understand having a baby for me was like having a midlife crisis for a man. My entire world was flipped upside down. Even though I loved our son with every fiber of my being, I'd lost myself. Confidence was something I always struggled with, but suddenly, I was one of two friends in our entire combined circles that had a child. While my one mom friend and I dreamed of park playdates with our sweet kids, her family moved to Wisconsin, so neither of us got the sort of companionship a mom vitally needs during those first few years. In fact, only in the past four years have our other friends begun to start their families, which means I spent over two years doing it without anyone nearby to relate or vent to. It was lonely, and it did a number on my self-esteem. 
I decided to try some at-home workout videos to get back in shape, hoping that would boost my spirit. And by Christmas, I was down all my baby weight plus an additional 10 pounds. The thinner I got, the more obsessed I became with exercise and clean eating. I thought if I could look a certain way, confidence would suddenly exist inside of me, like how a rabbit appears in a magician's hat after he said the magic words. For a while, I really believed I'd found the secret formula. It made me feel incredible when I told people I was a mom, and they looked at me in disbelief. You look so good. You don't look like a mom at all. I see the insult in a statement like this now, but then I was fueled by comments like these. But while I was working hard not to look like a mom, I was neglecting to nurture other areas of my life, like my marriage and our sex life. Sex was always something that connected the two of us, but now it felt like we were doing it for the sake of trying to keep our pre-baby life alive. And it wasn't working. We'd have sex every single night, usually on our leopard print sheep's fur blanket on the floor, but it was lackluster. I could tell Derek was thinking about who the Steelers were playing that week while I was counting calories I'd consumed that day in my head. Thankfully, my husband isn't the sort of man to sit around and sulk about a problem. So he brought it up one evening and resolved that no sex would be better than meaningless sex. But since neither of us really liked either of those options, we reached for Plan C. Plan C was terrifying. Derek had done extensive research on new and exciting ways to help me achieve orgasms. He believed the fate of our sex life rested in my ability to find pleasure in it. He was convinced if he could get me excited about having sex again, then everything would change for us. And he was right, of course. But I was nervous. The kicker was that for this new method to work, I'd not only have to trust him entirely, but I'd have to give myself over completely, too. I want to try something that I think you and I will both really enjoy, but I need you to be open-minded and I need you to trust me. You need to be willing to give your whole self to me. Can you do that? I'm not going to go into detail about what he proposed because I need to keep at least some aspects of my life private, but if you Google the female orgasm, you'll come up with a slew of inventive and admittedly sometimes terrifying methods to choose from that may or may not leave your face numb in pleasure. For me, I wasn't going to be able to indulge in any experimentation unless I could learn to stop being so damn insecure about my body and new role as a mom. I hadn't realized it, but every time someone told me I looked good for a mom, they were actually feeding the belief inside of me that said since I was a mom now, I had to change. I couldn't dress or talk or fuck in specific ways anymore. In the same way Julia Roberts had to learn how to use the outside fork first for her salad at that fancy dinner meeting in Pretty Woman. Accepting Derek's proposal meant I'd need to face my fear of losing control, my shame monster, my trauma, my fear of rejection, and my insecurity all at once. It meant I'd need to lean into his call for intimacy. I'd have to pull the shields down and let him in uninhibitedly. Do you trust me? Well, did I? If the man who watched me poop right there on that hospital bed wanted to now explore my body in ways he hadn't yet, who was I to argue? 
If your husband still wants to spend time in your nether regions after a Turdgate scandal, you count your blessings and fall into him. I felt like Jasmine taking Aladdin's hand before he helped her onto the magic carpet and showed her a whole new world. I never could have guessed that Derek felt like Aladdin at that moment too, posing as a confident, I know what the hell I'm doing husband, who wasn't also scared and nervous and praying to God that I'd accept him and love him and understand him and enjoy what he was about to try. And so, in true Jasmine fashion, I cocked my head, squinted my eye curiously, and said yes by taking the hand of the street rat turned prince and getting on for what would become the beginning of a whole new world. It also marked a whole new chapter of my marriage and a whole new meaning for my life. When I fell into Derek, I mean really fell into him. I finally knew what it meant to be seen. Unpacking Intimacy It's been a long day, a stretched out week, a hectic month, a fucking travesty of a year. Girl, I know. I've been there. I'm still there. Life? She pedals on whether you're all the way on the bike or not. And sometimes, that means you find yourself with half of your body hanging off the side and dragging behind the wheels, bruising with each bump you hit on the way. When you spend your days as a human vending machine, or a one-woman bodily fluid cleanup crew, or a mediator, or a nine-to-fiver, or one of the other millions of things women do on a day-to-day that exhausts the shit out of them— The last thing you think you want is to then have to put on your best show for your partner for a quick wham-bam thank you, ma'am. You're channeling your inner Cinderella all damn day and wondering when in the hell your knight in shining armor is going to come and save your ass and get you some fancy glass slippers and a tiara. If I had sleep, personal space, romantic gestures, and time to put something other than leftover chicken nuggets in my system... Then I'd actually want to get my freak on. But instead, your partner walks in equally exhausted, overwhelmed, and stressed. Because life doesn't slow down for them either. And they've been dragging behind the bike all day, week, and year too. So how do two people that spend their days keeping the world within their walls turning find a way to reconnect? Talking about your feelings gets a solid nod. Because communication is important. But the top answer is one that may not immediately sit well with you, so hang in there with me. The best way to reconnect with your romantic partner, husband, wife, spouse, whatever you like to call them, is sex. Bow chicka bow wow, baby. Now this may stir up big emotions in you. You may immediately reject this as being horseshit and sternly remind yourself that I know nothing. What, like you went to school for this or something, Andy? Get out of here with your pressures for me to have sex. You don't know what true exhaustion looks like. Gentle reader, let me first tell you that, yes, I do. I've survived the newborn phase, the newborn with a toddler phase, the midnight ER trips, the sobbing in my pillow all night over the death of a loved one, the agonizing sleepless nights that follow the loss of a baby the my mom has cancer and I can't get off of Google all night, the catching child vomit in my hands, and the moving into a fixer-upper with two children in tow. 
Exhaustion is an old friend of mine, and the past two nights, I've slept so hard that Derek could have hosted a fight club in our bedroom, and I wouldn't have moved a muscle. I know, truly know, how crippling the lack of sleep and stress and anxiety can be. And I also know, truly know, that connecting physically with your partner is one of the best ways to ward off all those evil spirits. Being intimate isn't always easy. Becoming a mother and entering into a new phase of my marriage where sex was suddenly a footnote rather than a main event highlighted this truth. But as I pulled this one from the suitcase, I could see that even before kids, I was struggling with the big song and dance number known as S-E-X. I thought I only had a problem with initiating sex, but as it turns out, I had an issue with intimacy itself. Turdgate and new motherhood gave me an excuse to feel self-conscious, but I'd always been marking the moves. I stressed about my facial expressions, my stomach when it curled. Am I coming off as sexy or seizuring? Did that noise seriously just escape my mouth? I sound like an idiot. I probably look like one too. The irony is, I was so afraid of being seen, and yet I desperately wanted Derek to see me in all other areas. I was essentially saying, here's all of me, but don't look down. You can never look down. As if my vagina were a Venus flytrap and I was saving him or something. I wanted to connect with him fully, and at the same time, I feared what that might mean. It was easier to blame outside forces than to admit I was scared. You may notice that there are similar themes in this chapter and the earlier one on control, but that's because the two intertwine. Control was the outer layer of a thickly coated issue. Learning to release it was one aspect, but learning to lean into Derek was another. Trusting him with my body and mind wholly was an act of bravery. I was stepping out of the wings and taking the stage. I was owning my fears and making a conscious decision to choose my husband over my insecurities and to choose intimacy over simply having sex. If you don't trust your partner with your body, then ask yourself why. Are you allowing your own insecurities to hinder your growth and connection? The paradox is that authentic human connection is found in vulnerability. Yet vulnerability is the scariest part of human connection. Will I be too much? Will I love too hard? Will they understand my love, or will I come off in a way that appears too clingy, too sappy, too content? The more comfortable we get with someone, the harder it can be to get vulnerable with them, too. We feel like we already know our partner and their limits, so we never really challenge that. We expect people to accept our growth while also keeping others in a box we carved out for them years ago. There's a trickiness here. You see it, don't you? My marriage has been most successful in this area because Derek and I are both aware that we'll never be the exact same two people who fell in love over a decade ago. We know that like the ocean, humans are continually rising and falling, pushing and pulling, following the current and crashing waves upon the shore. Had Derek never approached me with the idea to expand and grow together in the bedroom, we never would have set sail on this adventure that has not only brought me to an entirely new level of pleasure sexually, 
but has also allowed us a more full and satisfying relationship as spouses, co-parents, and friends. When our bodies are in sync, our minds follow suit, and we can then tap into a deeper level of human connection that I firmly believe is reserved for life partners. I think it's something we're all meant to unlock, and I credit that as one of the reasons why marriage is considered holy in most religions. This connection of body, mind, and soul is no mistake. It's why we were designed to love and give love, to connect and feel connected. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Unpacked podcast. I'm your host, Andy Franklin, and you can find me on Instagram at Andy M. Franklin and at love underscore unpacked. And if you're interested in purchasing the book, it is sold on Amazon, IndieBound, and Barnes & Noble.